1: Welcome to the Roto-World Baseball Podcast. on DJ Short. This is the latest episode in our team check-in series, and we've done a bunch of these episodes already. You can go back and look in our archives to see some of our recent episodes and teams we've already covered. Today, I'm talking Orioles with Eduardo Encina of the Baltimore Sun. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and Audio Boom. Any help you could provide would be much appreciated. Okay, let's get into the show now. Hey, Eduardo. First, uh, just to start things off here, thanks for making the time to come on the show. Great to have you
2: here. Thanks for having me, DJ. Appreciate it.
1: Uh, Well, the Orioles made it to the wildcard game last year, but they lost in memorable and controversial fashion after manager Buck Showalter left to Zach Britton in the bullpen We didn't see many big moves this winter. The biggest one was the return of Mark Trumbo, uh, who led the majors with 47 home runs last year. And it was ultimately a similar situation to what we saw with Chris Davis from last offseason. It lingered into the new year before the two sides agreed on a three-year $37.5 million contract. And the waiting really paid off for the Orioles. This is one of those situations where it won't severely hang, hamstring them if he regresses, but it could be a huge bargain if he maintains his production. Is that sort of how the Orioles see it?
2: Yeah, I think the Orioles—they're you know, a team that's really not going to go out there and and uh, you know spend spend freely early on in, in the off season, like maybe some of the other teams uh, in their division. But um, and Dan Duke has been really good at kind of waiting out the free agent market. Um, you know, being savvy with some, you know, trades are kind of under the radar and, um, you know, filling the needs. And I think that, you know, getting Trumbo, or keeping Trumbo was really kind of their top off-season priority. And, you know, at times it looked like it wasn't going to happen, but uh, like you said, it's a really good um, comparison in terms of comparing it to, to, you know, the Chris Davis deal a year ago, because um, I think you know, they waited out the market and uh, were really kind of tactful in terms of, you know knowing what they were willing to spend and 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 not really budging to it and you know having trust that you know these guys have had you know their best years in Baltimore in Trumbo's case it was just one year but you know he had the best year of his career with the Orioles in, in that in the middle of that uh that you know very power packed lineup so um and, and ultimately having trust that you know that it would kind of come back around to them and and that's what it did with Trumbo. that's what it did with davis uh, last year I mean obviously davis they still uh, they, they still pay, paid a pretty penny for him, you know, 161 million dollars for seven years. And that was the biggest you know, free agent deal in club history. But with Trumbo, it's interesting because he only was in Baltimore for one year. But you know, he was a guy who really, uh, you know, kind of moved around a lot. And, and like I said, he had his, his best year uh, in Baltimore. And there's a lot of different things that, that went into that. And obviously, he got off to a hot start. The team got off to a hot start. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, hitting in the middle of that lineup. Uh, you know, there's not too many guys who uh, it wouldn't be successful in, in that lineup. And they sure. can throw in the, the hitter-friendly uh, nature of Camden Yards as well, that I think probably benefits most power hitters uh, there, especially in the summertime when balls really kind of fly out of there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of been Dan Duquette's MO a little bit in terms of waiting out the market and and, and trying to you know, pick it apart a little bit. I and mean, a couple of years ago, they, they got probably was, you know, probably one of the best partners in recent memory uh, when they picked up Nelson Cruz late for $8 million for a one year flyer. That's true. And um, yeah, that really paid off huge benefits. And I, I think they're really, they, they know what they kind of have to do. You know, Buck and Dan always kind of talk about, uh, you know, we know who we are. And, and that's kind of the identity they have. And they are able, you know, they, they've spent a lot of money in the past few years. But uh, at the same time, you know, they know that they've got to do it a little bit differently than maybe other teams.
1: One of the other significant moves this winter was at the catcher position, saying goodbye to Matt Wieters while welcoming uh, Wellington Castillo on a one-year $6 million deal. Castillo hit 264, 14 homers, 745 OPS last season with Arizona. The Orioles signed Castillo back in mid-December, so this was right after the winter meetings. Meanwhile, Wieters remained on the market uh, until just a couple of weeks ago. He signed a two-year $21 million deal with the Nationals, includes the opt-out after the first year. Did the Orioles just expect Weeders to land a lucrative multi-year deal, or were they convinced that Castillo was the right guy for them, or or was it a combination of
2: factors? Yeah, I think it was was definitely a combination of different things. Because, you know, I think that early on, um, maybe the Orioles had kind of thought that, you know, they had just come off a season where they paid Matt the qualifying offer. He was one of the first guys to ever accept it. And, uh, you know, they paid him nearly $16 million, $15.8 million to be are starting catcher. And I think going into this offseason, you know they really you know looked at it and said they weren't going to make him another qualifying offer. this year it was 17.2 million. And they really tried to look at the catching position as, as one that they could really get value out of. And the fact that they did get value in that position and really for the most part got an equal, if not, you know, better offensive catcher in Castillo for you know just six million in comparison, I think it actually allowed them to do a little bit more. And, you know, like I said, going back to your initial question, their MO of waiting out a little bit and, and maybe being able to get Trumbo. I think, you know, the fact that they were only only spending that much money at that position, you know, really allowed them to kind of go out there and be aggressive with Trumbo. Um, and at the same time, I think that, you know, having a starting catcher is something that, that for a lot of teams, they don't want to let it kind of linger. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Matt kind of, you know, sat out there for a while is because, you know, teams want to get that position shored up early. And I think that was the case with the Orioles. And, you know, Matt's, Matt's agent, Scott Boris, said at the winter meetings that he really didn't see Matt signing until later on in the offseason. He pretty much said it, you know, no earlier than January. And no one really knew about the injury that Pat dealt with in the offseason at that time. So it kind of made a little bit of sense that they would wait out, you know, that market. Um, and I think it's kind of surprising considering how far – how long he stayed out there that he still was able to get guaranteed, you know, a twenty twenty one million dollars over two years and and a pretty attractive opt out if if he has a really good year uh, net, this year and can test the market again. Um, but yeah, I, I really think there was a couple factors at play there. One, I don't think they were willing to wait uh, as long as maybe they would have to if they wanted to, you know, re-sign Matt. And at the same time, they saw a guy in Castillo who just kind of, you know, I don't know if he you know hopped in their lap, but. You I don't think Wellington even expected to be non-tendered by the Diamondbacks. I know they're right. rumbling late, but um, you know, he, he, I mean, I talked to him the other day about you know playing the WBC, and you know, he was kind of caught in a, between a rock and a hard place a little bit because he made the commitment to play in the WBC before he got non-tendered. He didn't expect to, you know, to be non-tendered, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's a free agent and looking for another team. And you know, he's in a you know somewhat unfortunate situation now trying to, you know, learn a new pitching staff, learn a new team, you know, learn a new league from, uh, you know, his days in Arizona. And, um, and he's, he's kind of uh, sitting there, you know, he was on really a, a, uh, you know, a crash course before he went to, to join his, you know, his Dominican teammates in the WBC. He didn't expect any of that, you know, come in, in November and, and October. So, you know, he wanted to really kind of honor his commitment uh, to the Dominican Republic team, and, and he, he's still going to play. But you know, I, talking to him a couple times, you know, he, he was really torn about it because he wants to be here. He wants to be. You know, he knows he's got a lot of stuff to learn about the team, and you know, there's a lot of. Uh, you know, Matt was here so long that there really was a comfort level with with a lot of those pitchers in terms of him being a big target out there, him having to trust of, of calling games and 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 stuff like that. So and handling the staff, so. Um, you know, he knows that that's a, something he's got to learn. He's got to figure out how he's going to do that, and he's had to do it pretty quickly. But um, in terms of attention possession, I think it's been a fascinating one. One because you have a guy who really didn't expect to be, you know, out there in Wellington Castillo, and then a guy who didn't really expect to be on the market as long as he was in Matt Weiders, and how it kind of worked out was, was pretty interesting. But I know that you know, I went out to West Palm Beach when when Wieders reported and uh, in his first days in Nationals and. I think still Orioles fans are really kind of, you know, uncomfortable with you know just seeing Matt Wieters in an Astros uniform. That's understandable. A lifelong <laughs> Oriole, he was a lifelong Oriole. He was, you know, one of the few homegrown guys that they really have in that organization, and you know, it would be like seeing Manny Machado in a Yankees uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, that might eventually happen, you know, <laughs> but right. you know, but you know, it, it was really jarring. I think for for Orioles fans, and for me too, it's just kind of weird seeing him in a different uniform because he's been such a big part of. Of of everything they've done the past few years and really kind of the turnaround in in Baltimore.
1: Well, moving on to another homegrown guy, Dylan Bundy, who's a really fascinating story. Originally made his major league debut as a 19-year-old back in 2012 uh, when he was a consensus top prospect but of course ran into all sorts of injury issues after that. He finally made his way back to the majors last year and he probably would have started the year in the minors if he still had options remaining but eventually he got pushed into the rotation around mid-season and the results were were mixed. Uh, the good news is no velocity dip after moving to the rotation. Had a strikeout per inning in there but uh, allowed fifteen home runs, had a five uh, had a four-five two ERA in those fourteen starts. Now the Orioles didn't let him throw hundred pitches in any of those starts. Do they plan on loosening those restrictions this year or are they still going to handle him with care?
2: I think they've gotta handle him with care to a certain extent, just because you know, just going back to our initial talk here was, you know, the Orioles aren't gonna be a team that's gonna go out there and, and spend huge amounts on, on lucrative free agents pitching signings so they've got to. you know the guys they have the homegrown guys like you know Bundy, Kevin Gossman you know the recovery of Hunter Harvey um, you know even going back to their first round pick this year you know Cody Sedlock you know these guys have to hit for them um, because they're really kind of depending on it because they're not going to go out and you know go out and buy a David Price or Zach Cranky or the guys like that so you know they are going to be careful with them but at the same time you know they, they kind of Went against conventional norms here with Bundy last year because you know he really hadn't been healthy. He hadn't been you know, there was no real you know, since his, his his Tommy John surgery in 2013. There was really no uh, there was no innings count to really build from because he had been you know hurt. He had you know some recurring you know the Tommy John surgery. He had you know, came back from that. It was pretty slow last year. He dealt with some shoulder issues. So you know everyone kind of says you know you have this incremental you know, innings count progression, and they really went against him, you know, last year, and obviously they they started him as a reliever first off to kind of build his innings a little bit, but, you know, when you look at how many innings he ended the season with, um, I don't think anyone would have necessarily projected that. So, you know, having said that, you know, I think they're going to be careful with him. I think they're going to pick their spots with him in terms of, you know, working around, you know, off days, maybe giving him a little bit extra rest, maybe skipping him one turn in the rotation. They're going to be careful in that way, but I think more than ever, they're probably going to let him go. In terms of, you know, pitch counts, you know, he's going to go over that hundred pitch limit. I think this year, and you know, I, I don't think there's really a bona fide, you know, innings mark for him right now. It's okay; well, he can't throw more than 130 or 140 innings. I think they're going to play it by year. But going in, they're definitely uh, having a, a mentality where where he's going to be the guy who's going to get that maybe that extra off day or maybe. You know, skip skip a turn in the rotation when when they need to, because I think the other guys they've got in that rotation are guys that they really think they can depend on in terms of innings, and that includes Kevin Gossman, because you know, I think last year you know the the reins kind of came off of him, and I think you know he wants to be a guy who's going to be a 200 inning guy, and you know if if Chris Tillman comes back healthy, he's been kind of slowed in spring training, you know, he's a guy who who you know has really kind of served as the benchmark for for being kind of a workhorse in that staff, and you know he's been a guy who can throw 200 innings. And uh, you know, then they've got the veterans behind them, like uh, you know Wade Miley and Evaldo Jimenez, who've kind of been shaky at times, but you know they, they've shown that they can they can put up innings too. So they, they you know, just like anything else, especially American League East. You know, I, I really do think that the success is going to come down to that rotation um, because you know teams in American League East they know how to score runs, and um, it's going to be it's going to come down to who can stop the other team from scoring runs. So um, it's a big year for for that entire rotation. It's a big huge year for Bundy because for the first time he's going to be, uh, you know, a a starting pitcher from beginning of opening day to the end. And that's, that's, that's something that he's going to have to, you know, handle all the circumstances too. But um, I think between him and Gossman, if those two guys, you know, pitch and and make those next steps that that people think that they're going to make, you know, I think that rotation will be in pretty good shape. But, um, you know, the other thing about those other guys is a lot of those other guys are pitching in contract. You you know, Chris Telman's going to be free again at the end of this year and, you know, Wade, Wade Miley has an option, but you know he, he can be pitching for a for a contract. You know, Baldo Jimenez is on the last year of his deal, so they've got a lot of guys who have a lot to pitch for, and um, you know, so, so that that's interesting too. And, and the fact that you know, for the first time in probably a while is that all five of those spots are set. They actually had to trade Giovanni Gallardo um, in the offseason to kind of uh, you know, shore up. You know, they had a surplus, I guess you could say, of pitching, but um, you know, so so they're in a unique situation this year than maybe they've been in, in in past years when it comes to rotation.
1: Well, it's definitely exciting to have Bundy and Gosman in that rotation at the same time. It gives them that top of the rotation potential there. Moving back to this offense, the Orioles obviously blew everyone away in the majors last season, 253 home runs. That power should be there again this year. Not only with Trumbo, but Chris Davis, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Jonathan Scope among them. But, Getting on base, not really a strength for this team. They were tied for ninth in the AL last season with a 317 on base percentage. With that in mind, the Orioles don't seem to have a perfect fit for a leadoff man right now. Who looks like the most likely option here, and could it could it change depending on if it's a right-hander or a left-hander?
2: I think if the season started today, it would be exactly that. It would be you know, kind of a, a platoon mix. I know that Adam Jones did it. You know, for a good part of last season by necessity, but I think Buck is pretty determined not to put him in, the, in that spot. And Adams put in the second number two spot, you know, for most of spring training, and he's really done really well. And obviously, you can only look so much into spring training games, but he's really in a, in a comfort zone there. And, you know, when, when you know, this this lineup is so dangerous, as you said, that, you know, and can't score a lot of runs, but when you think about it, if they can have a, a couple catalysts up top, how many more runs they can score. Sure. So, um, but I think that, you know, when you look at the candidates, you've got to look at kind of a platoon situation and, you know, Su Kim, left-handed hitting outfielder, he led the team in on-base percentage last year. And I think that, you know, against right-handers, he's probably going to be the guy who will be, uh, you know, leading off on most days. Now, having said that, um, you know, he's, he really hasn't had much success against, against left-handers. And, I don't think he has a hit actually. If left-handers in very very short sample size, mm-hmm. but um, so you're going to have to see someone else in that spot. You know? Now also another possibility, you know, against right-handers would be Seth Smith, and he's another platine guy. He's been hitting the leadoff spot a couple times this spring, and uh, he is the guy who that does have a reputation for being an on-base guy, getting on base, um, and, and we've seen that so far this spring. And I think the other part now is you know who's the guy who, who leads off against lefties and. This team struggled against lefties in the past. It hasn't been easy for him. Um, and I think that that's kind of one of the big question marks of, of spring training right now. I mean, Joey Rickard was, uh, you know, played that some of that role earlier in the season before he got hurt. You know, he was a rule five pick who just kind of came on the scene in spring training and, uh, you know, earned an opening day spot. And, and then he really had a, a good year up until he got hurt. So he's a guy who he's not necessarily a, you know, you look at his numbers, he doesn't have huge on base numbers, but um, he knows how to work the count. And, you know, he, he knows how to you know, get get deep into an at bat. So, um, you know, that that stuff is also the stuff that, that they're going to be looking at. But, um, you know, there, there's 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 definitely an opening there in terms of of that leadoff guy against left-handed pitching. And I think that that's going to be somebody they're really going to have to gauge um, going in because they've got a lot of outfielders out there. They've got um, you know, tons of I think 13 in camp, and they went out in the offseason season. They talked about how you know they've made these late moves and, you know they went out there and, and signed minor league deals to veterans like Michael Bourne and Craig Gentry, guys who, you know, aren't necessarily household names, but you know, are guys who have, you know, you know legitimate, you know, major league track records. And Bourne got hurt a couple you know, I think last week. You know, he'll be out for pretty much a month, but um, you know, he was a left handed bat who maybe could fit into that, that spot as well. But um he didn't get both lefties and righties. But yeah, you know, right now, I think it's kind of an open call for uh, for the leadoff spot, you know, pretty much all the way around, but I think it's going to be a plateau.
1: Uh, and last question here, um, I have to ask you about Manny Machado and also just sort of the window to win for the Orioles here. Machado coming off another amazing season, hit 294, 37 homers, 96 RBIs, excellent defense, back-to-back top five finishes in the AL MVP balloting. The Orioles have obviously benefited tremendously from that production, but He's making himself more expensive by the minute as we look ahead to the post twenty eighteen off season. Has there been any talks at all about an extension or is it thought that he'd be crazy to not test the open market in that off season supposed to be so loaded?
2: yeah, I mean that that's gonna be a uh, a huge market that year and um you know he's gonna reach free agency at the age of twenty six and you know not many guys have the opportunity to do that so
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think that. You know, the Orioles do realize to a certain extent that even a, a competitive offer, you know, at this point might not be one that they can really delve into. Um, but having said that, there hasn't been really much, much chatter. I mean, I, the Orioles, um, you know, they, they talked very briefly several years ago when, when Manny was was still a uh, um, arbitration, before his arbitration years kicked in. And um, so, you know, but right now, like you said, I mean, he's getting more and more pricier every day. So you know, at some point, the Orioles do have to kind of sit back and consider whether he's really going to be a part of the future or not, because, you know, if he stays healthy, you know, you've got to think that he's going to keep getting better. And, and we've seen what we've seen so far. Um, and, and, you know, the, you know it's, it's, I know it's cliche, but, you know, the sky is a limit for this kid. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, like I said to be able to be testing for the agency at 26 and build a resume that, that he's going to probably have, I guess that if he stays healthy. Um, is going to be an amazing one as an all-around player. And I think that, you know, uh, you know the, the way, you know, we, we can go, go back and talk about the markets that, that developed for guys like Davis and, and, and Trumbo, and, you know, this offseason kind of showed that people are kind of valuing certain players in different ways now, but there's no other way to value Manny Machado because he can really do it all. And um, so I think that when you look at that and you look at that 2018 class and talk about the window, you know, this team does have a really a two-year span here where they're going to have this core group together, and you know it's kind of shifted every once in a while. And we've been talking about the window for a few years now because you know there, a few years ago, you know they had Nelson Cruz, they lost him, and Nick Marcakis in the same offseason. You know this year they're going to have to place Matt Weiders. You know last year they did face the possibility of, of losing Davis, but um, in eighteen it's it's very it's a very fine marker there because is Machado become a free agent. Um, you know, Zach Britton becomes a free agent as well, and Adam Jones, who's really been kind of the, right. the veteran leader and the cornerstone of this team, also becomes a free agent. So there's a lot of guys who can, you know, who can test free agency at that point. And you know, the one thing about you know this team, you know, really being together for a long amount of time, is that they were pretty cheap, you know, a few years ago. But now they're making a lot of money. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I would I would wonder whether you know they can even keep you know these guys in 2018, you know, whether, you know, they can afford to pay, uh, you know, a Zach Britton and a Manny Machado ARBs, you know, ARB contracts when you know, given what they're making this year, you know, so, um, you know, Jones's escalators are going to go up as well. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going to have to make a decision on, on that future, maybe not even in 2018, but maybe even a little earlier, especially if, you know, let's say they struggle this year or struggle, you know, next year at the all, I at the, uh, you know, at the trade deadline, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to make some decisions. I mean, it, it's right now you can definitely see the hourglass kind of, kind of pointed, and, and right. uh, you can definitely see that, that they're uh, everyone in Baltimore, all the fans. You know, I think you know, it's no big secret that that this team, that this window is a little bit different than maybe the past windows.
1: Yeah, definitely be a fascinating team to watch, not only next year, but this year as well, if they fall out of contention. Anyway, just to wrap Mm -hmm. things up, uh, let the people know where they can follow your work on social media and elsewhere.
2: Yeah, uh, you follow on Twitter at uh, Eddie in the Yard um, and uh, writing in uh, com online. And uh, I try to do a lot of different things, you know, stories, photos, blogs, videos, all this other stuff that we we kind of do nowadays in the uh, total multimedia world. Yes, we do. That we kind of live in, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, those, are, those, are, those are where, that's where you can find
1: me. Awesome, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it.
2: Thanks a lot. Anytime, DJ.
1: Good stuff there. Um, my thanks again to Eduardo for making the time to come on the show. I know things are crazy busy in spring training right now, so anytime that these beat writers, uh, beat reporters, uh, give to to come on the show, I mean, I'm very appreciative. So. Uh, it's definitely been fun to do this series. Uh, just a couple of quick things before we go. Uh, reminder, the Road World Baseball Draft Guide magazine is available in stores now. There's also an online version, which is, as I've said many times before, constantly updated as we lead into opening day. Uh, it's loaded with projections, player profiles, columns on sleepers, busts, prospects, average draft position data mock draft analysis so really everything you need to get ready for your fantasy draft go to rotoworld.com for more information if you want to get in touch with the show you can email rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com again the email address is rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com i'm on twitter at dj short uh, my co-host drew silva he's on twitter at drew Silv, and i will see you next time